0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: This time on Vet Story. CIA official was quoted as
2: saying and speculating as to what kind of response President Bush would receive today. It will be like... Elvis has returned. The king is here. And as many of you may not know, he was also the first agency head to take the employee elevator to his office every morning rather than the director's private elevator. Thank you for those overly kind remarks. And I would've used the other elevator, but I was here such a short time, I didn't know it was there. They hid it from me. that he's an incredibly capable man who uh, has handled every task that the country has uh, called upon him with uh, great class and dignity. That all of this hoopla was a little overwhelming and uh, all I can say is that the gratitude in my heart literally knows no bounds. Uh, I left here some 22 years ago after a limited tenure. my stay here had a major impact on me. CIA became part of my heartbeat back then and it's never gone away. It is an honor to stand here and be counted among you. Thank you very, very much.
1: Welcome to Vet Story. I'm your host, Phil Briggs. Today we'll talk about President George H.W. Bush, his legacy, and why being a member of the intelligence community may have shaped the history of the world. As president, George H.W. Bush's legacy is one of great leadership, and the kind of sincerity we see reflected in our citizens old enough to remember a country less divided, and the citizens we call members of the greatest generation. I talked with Matthew Dalek, an associate professor at George Washington University's Graduate School of Political Management, about why his legacy is so significant in American history. Well,
3: uh, I think he will uh, go down in history for a few different uh, reasons. I think first and foremost is uh, on the foreign policy front and in particular is the president who uh, really helped in a significant way manage the transition to the uh, post-Cold War world and uh, was able to uh, negotiate Uh, uh, deftly with um, uh, Eastern European countries, with the former Soviet Union, Mikhail Gorbachev, um, helped reunify uh, Germany and uh, oversaw a bloodless uh, and and peaceful uh, revolution in uh, Eastern Europe in the former USSR. So I think that's critical. He also, of course, is going to be remembered as the scion of a political dynasty, There have only been uh, only the second time that you've had, I think, in American history, a father-son presidential duo. Both of his sons, uh, George W. Bush and Jeb Bush, uh, were governors of two of the biggest states in the country, Uh, very popular governors, Florida and Texas, and really leaders of the Republican Party. And so um, I think that will be significant. And then I think the third piece is he is really, in some ways, a transitional figure within the Republican Party. Um, in some ways, he was um, moderate is probably not the right word, but his views on tax cuts on uh, abortion um, were more fluid. and And so, for example, at one point he was uh, 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 pro-choice. Um, he was not. He called uh, supply-side economics a uh, voodoo uh, economics. Um, But when Reagan chose him to be his running mate uh, in 1980, he uh, repudiated those old positions. And his career really illustrates, I think, the shifting character of the Republican Party, the move rightward, where issues like abortion and taxes, there's really no room for debate within the Republican Party on those issues. And his career, I think, reflected that
1: trend talk to me about his showing flexibility or his willingness to negotiate there's long been the stories of I will not raise taxes
2: my opponent my opponent won't rule out raising taxes but I will and the Congress will push me to raise taxes and I'll say no and they'll push and I'll say no and they'll push again and I'll say to them. Read my lips. No new taxes.
1: But then he did go and turn around and actually raise some taxes. That was characterized mm-hmm. by the Dana Carvey character on Saturday Night Live. Read my lips. I'm gonna... I'm gonna...
2: I'm gonna, ra- I'm gonna, ra- ra- <laughs> I'm gonna ra- raise.
0: I'm
2: gonna raise... I'm gonna raise gonna raise taxes
1: <laughs> there i said it loud and clear share with me what we can learn from that yeah well um the
3: parties were a bit more malleable then or a bit more uh, ideologically heterogeneous um there were some more moderates in the republican party there were more southern conservative democrats still in the Uh, late 80s and early 90s in the Democratic Party. Um, So it was a little bit more, there was a little more breathing room for political leaders to make those sort of deals um, because they could find uh, support within their party for a variety of positions. That's not the case today. So You know, Bush um, was also pragmatic on things like uh, supporting the Americans with Disabilities Act and signing it into law, a renewal of the Voting Rights uh, Act. Um, There were uh, certain things that he did that no Republican president nowadays would be permitted to do. The party, in a sense, the the activists, members of Congress, um, the outside groups, they would not permit, politically, um, uh, uh, a president to do that. So, um, yes, I think, you know, on some level you can say, well, it's admirable that Bush did this, but I think that there are structural reasons why it's very hard to do something like that uh, today.
1: Is there something we could learn or something we could take away from Bush's example that we should carry forward in American politics and in American governance?
3: Well, I do think the idea that um, public service and a life in politics is not uh, an evil path, it's not a corrupt uh, uh, path. Um, And that in fact, there is still some degree of nobility in doing that and doing those things. And that also experience can be valuable. Um, Experience uh, can be useful in uh, navigating world affairs, in forging uh, international uh, alliances, in um, negotiating sort of legislative deals. And so the sort of um, uh, fetish with uh, 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 people who are outside Washington, who are inexperienced, um, it's not altogether uh, uh, an unwelcome development. But I think, you know, part of uh, aspects of Bush's record remind us that, you know, here's someone who was extremely experienced and knowledgeable going into the presidency. And that um, that translated into uh, a set of achievements Uh, for the country that that would have been made more difficult if he had been a novice.
1: One place that gave Bush that experience was his time as director of the CIA. Just how did Bush's time as CIA director affect the years that followed? To answer that, I spoke with someone that has a lifetime of agency experience. I'm uh, Nicholas
0: Dumovich. I'm uh, the director of the Intelligence Studies program here at Catholic University of America. Um, I took this job. Uh, I was recruited into it, I recruited uh, into retirement from CIA uh, in 2016, uh, where I'd spent 26 years as a uh, career intelligence officer and uh, the last part of that as a staff historian.
1: And again, thank you for your time this morning, Professor. Eager to talk to you about this. And I Good found thing. you on a video on YouTube. Glad they released that thing. <clears throat> I think that's where I wanted to begin this interview and just ask you about the importance of President Bush to the intelligence community and why he's so revered. You know, at first when
0: CIA heard that this politician was being named to be the director of central intelligence, and at that time the CIA director was also the head of the intelligence community, um, the CIA workforce was initially very skeptical. This had never happened before that we would have a, a, a politico uh, there. Uh, I mean, intelligence uh, really tries to stay out of politics. Uh, intelligence loses when it becomes a political football. Uh, so it, it, this did not portend well, but George Bush comes, and, uh, you know, the workforce knew that he was. Uh, you know, the ambassador to the United Nations, that he had been uh, our ambassador to Red China. So he knew something. But what they weren't prepared for was just how much he embraced the mission of intelligence, the people of intelligence. You know, from the very first staff meeting, he, he comes in with a newspaper. I think it was probably the Washington Post and saying, look what they're doing to us. In the press, to us he immediately identified with uh, the men and women of the Central Intelligence Agency. And in, you know, in the first few months, he is going on the talk shows, uh, the Today Show, 60 Minutes, Meet the Press, defending um, the mission of intelligence, the need for secrecy, at a time when all these things were being um openly questioned in the public and in the congress because of the congressional investigations going on at the time
1: now to understand the climate of america when bush became director we'll take a listen to parts of a rare cia video the one we referenced at the start of my interview with professor dumovich it was produced by the cia in 2016 for president bush's visit to headquarters on the 40th anniversary of his being sworn in as director the video entitled i want this job George H.W. Bush and the CIA, was quietly published on YouTube by June of 2018 after being declassified. This excerpt explains perfectly the agency and the era Bush inherited.
2: We were the nation's villain, I guess. This is the story of a 30-year search by U.S. intelligence agencies to perfect mind control. It
0: was a terrible time. Congress had... Had it in for the agents.
2: Why did you do this? Why did you do that? We found this. Tell us about that. Does this pistol uh, fire the dart? Yes, it does, Mr. Chairman. And a special one was developed as a murder instrument. That's about as efficient as you can get, isn't it? it? It it is a weapon, a very serious weapon.
1: It was this tumultuous era in which Bush went from being an ambassador to being sworn in as director of the CIA a move which some of his friends questioned. They thought it was the end to a bright political career. And even Bush had his own reservations. I'm doing a
2: lot of briefing, reading some of the hearings from previous directors, questioning rather soft compared to what I expect I'll be running into. It's funny how the mail reflects the different moods. Some say they're shoving you into a meat grinder, a dead end, getting rid of you politically. We don't like it destroy you others are saying they think it's great i'd be damned to find out right now which is which
1: but bush considered it a duty to his country and so he took the job and was sworn in as the director of the cia
2: welcome george welcome to cia thank you for i that. remember that day very well it was an uncommonly warm january day in 1976 when george h.w bush ...arrived at the CIA headquarters to take over as the director of the Central Intelligence Agency. The duties of the office... ...on which I am about to enter. ...on which I am about to enter. So help you God. So help me God.
0: In his first remarks as director of Central Intelligence, Bush said that we must learn from the past, but focus on the tasks ahead.
2: Restoration of public confidence is essential if we are to get on about our important work here but the emphasis now will be on the future and because of its dedicated people this agency is the finest intelligence agency in the world they will have my total support and I'll work hard at that we are not in the policy business we'll call them as we see them and we'll be objective and our estimates. I'm determined to protect those things that must be kept secret. And I am more determined to protect those unselfish and patriotic people who with total dedication serve their country, often putting their lives on the line only to have some people bent on destroying this agency, expose their names, This must stop and I'll do my level best to play a role in that. I want this job, I want to do it well, and I'm proud to be a part of the CIA. Thank you very much.
1: Now, he's obviously made quite an impact there with the agency and he's sort of uh, healed that wound and that mistrust of the public. And he's raised morale. Talk to me about going forward into the Reagan era and then what would eventually be his presidency. Why Why was he so critical and what were sort of the maybe some good highlights or some good things that we may have not known about the real benefit of having somebody that understood intelligence in the executive branch for those 12 years? Yes, and, and I think
0: you're absolutely right. It's important to look at um, George Bush not as a guy who was just the CIA director and then later on you know, we find that he's the 41st president of the United States, but there is a 12-year period uh, where he goes from being a presidential candidate um, you know, in competition with Ronald Reagan to being chosen, I think quite wisely, as Reagan's vice president for two full terms. And then his... Uh, Single, but extremely significant one term as as president. Um, what's not really known, uh, uh, I think, uh, sufficiently about George H. W. Bush is that as vice president elect, he was already having a good impact on the Reagan team uh, moving forward into uh, in the transition period. That it was. Um, It was uh, George Bush, the former CIA director, who prevailed upon President-elect Ronald Reagan to start receiving uh, the President's Daily Brief, which had been offered by the Carter administration. Go ahead and and receive it. And uh, using all the resources of the American government, basically, Reagan is still in California, and they're flying out the book, the President's Daily Brief, which is a Magnificent publication uh, I was its editor for three years during the Clinton administration It's experience I'll never forget but they they got the uh, the PDB as we call it, the president's daily brief mm-hmm. out to Reagan and uh, with agency briefers interacting with him and finding that hey this former actor is not as dumb as we thought he's actually pretty engaged in <laughs> and knowledgeable about the world and he's open to new ideas uh, so That was a a measure of Bush's influence that was very positive. And he continued to um, encourage uh, the production of intelligence going to Ronald Reagan, who, by the way, you know, this isn't about Reagan, but I, I happen to know a lot about Reagan because I did a lot of research as a staff historian about Reagan as an intelligence consumer. And Reagan was amazing. Contrary to the caricatures you hear about this guy not being a, a reader or interested in, in the world and in intelligence, he he read voraciously. I, I looked at all his uh, PDBs for the first uh, three years of his presidency and, and they're marked up, you know, uh, he engaged intellectually with these things. He asked for more. And I I think that behind the scenes you had George HW Bush who has his own national security, uh, team is, is, is facilitating some of that is, Um, Because of his ties, George Bush's ties back with the agency, his national security advisor, Don Gregg, friend of mine, is a retired CIA officer, uh, senior officer who that's his channel back to the agency. I'm I'm 95 percent certain that using that channel, that they uh, tailored some things for the president's uh, attention that would appear in the book that they knew that Ronald Reagan was reading every single day. Wow. Uh, so I think, I think uh, you have a behind the scenes and, and characteristic of George HW Bush. You don't hear about this. He he never takes credit for this sort of thing. It's just the right thing to do. The important thing to do for the country. And uh, so he's there uh, and he's, uh, as you know, from any history of the Reagan administration, uh, George HW Bush was, uh, pretty much involved in in uh, all major decisions um thankfully except for iran contra which was a disaster
1: um yeah that's a podcast for another day
0: (laughs) yeah yeah sure and then uh and then when he wins the presidency uh you know this it gets even better for u.s intelligence because now we have a president who is has walked the walk and uh President Bush insists on starting his day every day with a CIA briefer with the president's daily brief. Uh, He takes an active interest in what's in the book and its distribution. Because of George Bush's uh, experience as director, he knew that the president's daily brief had to be, you know, the most sensitive information for the president. But if there, if, if presidents allow the distribution of the PDB to be too wide, CIA is going to hold back on some of that. And, and Mm. Bush's president didn't want that. So he actually uh, went to the, the extreme, if you will, of dictating who would receive uh, the PDB. And he kept it very small. And he said explicitly, I I don't want this going uh, wider than this small circle uh, close to the president because I know then CIA will start holding back on some sensitive information. And he wasn't disagreeing with the need to do that. He was fixing the problem by keeping the president's daily brief appropriately, uh, pretty closely held. And he also dictated specifically, and this is, you know, here's the president of the United States getting into these details, but they're important details. He said, and CIA, when you bring the PDB to an authorized reader, one of the the principles, they call it, you know, allow the principal to read it or brief it to him, but you take it back. It goes back to the agency. It doesn't stay. Another way to avoid uh, leaking.
1: Sure, sure. And in so, this day I mean, and age, can you imagine with emails and everything, how loosey-goosey we play things <laughs> these days? Um, having oh, yeah. having been to Langley on a family day tour, I, I, I sure. can honestly say I've seen and found quite fascinating the various stamps and labels that they put on pieces of paper uh, throughout history. And uh, the label of eyes only, I always thought was a very interesting yeah. stamp on a piece of, like on a memorandum or something. Because that meant that literally you couldn't leave it on someone's desk. You couldn't mail it in an envelope. It was for eyes only, and then it would go back to wherever it came from. Fascinating.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. So, uh, so you had that, and um, you know, Bush as president, uh, you know, he, he had this fondness for the agency. And if you saw in the video, uh the the part of the speech that he gave, you know, uh as as former president when he came back in nineteen ninety-eight for the pres uh, for the the agency's um 50th anniversary uh you know we renamed the compound for him it's the the george bush uh, center uh, of intelligence and um and he said at, at that occasion that he wasn't here for very long you know he was he was there for 51 weeks just short of a year but you know he found that uh cia's heartbeat became his own and it's never left um, and every time he would come back as president or as former president, uh, people just turned out. They, they do normally for presidents, but uh, it, there was a special love and uh, devotion to this particular man because of what he had done as director, the support he consistently expressed uh, for the people of intelligence, the men and women doing very hard things in order to Help keep our country safe. Uh, You know, it it was and it was mutual. You know, it it was this love affair.
1: Wonderful, wonderful. Um, Last question: Having been there, having been an intelligence officer for as many years as you were. Mm-hmm. Some would say that in the 80s, you know, as I recall growing up, every movie's enemy was the Russians or a communist. You know, there was Rocky and there was Red Dawn and there were all the movies <laughs> I grew up watching. And, of course, I part remember of, those, yes. Part of the propaganda of the 80s was the bad guy was always a communist somewhere. And we were always fighting Russians. And we didn't go to war while Bush was vice president with Russia. And in fact, we actually saw the breakdown of the Berlin Wall and we saw Germany's reunification to some degree, uh, maybe as a result. Of our stance in foreign policy. But as Bush became president, we did see us enter a conflict with Iraq and Saddam Hussein for the invasion of Kuwait. Uh, It makes the argument for some that those that are in the intelligence community or those that are steeped in the Department of Defense uh, as leaders take us down the path of war. Is there any truth to that with Bush in that we got closer and closer to war with Russia at one point and that by the time he became president, we actually did go to war or was his intelligence background actually keeping us from war?
0: I think more the latter. I mean, uh, you know, Bush's personal history. He detested war. He had he had fought in war and. Um, One thing I know about uh, Ronald Reagan and his presidency was that Reagan, again, despite the caricatures, was no warmonger. He hated war. He had, you know, there'd been four wars fought in his lifetime. He didn't want a fifth and he was, he was working as hard as he could to negotiate peace, but negotiate from a position of strength. George Bush was totally in line with that policy. And, um, you know, with the end of the Cold War, which, I mean, the groundwork was prepared by Reagan, but Reagan left office before he could finish the job. George H.W. Bush finishes the job. You know, the the I'm going to say this because I'm here at the Catholic University of America that, you know, it's a fallen world. It's a world in which there is conflict. uh, And that's not going away until, you know, the better world comes at the end of the age. Uh, in the meantime, um, you know it's, it's simply not true that uh, CIA was created to fight the Cold War. It did fight the Cold War, but even without the Cold War, as the Cold War goes away, all these other problems, which may have been suppressed by this superpower competition, but they're still there, they're still there festering all these problems in the Mideast and the Balkans in, um, in Asia, they're going to come up and the mission of intelligence and, and George Bush knew this, uh, in his, in his DNA, uh, the mission of intelligence is to deal with the world as it is. We can't afford to, you know, pretend it's something that it's not, uh, that'll bite us in the backside. Uh, so I think, um, what George Bush saw uh, with the Iraqi invasion of Kuwait, which the intelligence community did warn about uh, again, contrary to some of the myths out there. Um, what he saw was a a threat to peace. And that if, if the aggression was allowed to stand, then there was little hope for the world because uh every, Every dictator, every strong man would see that uh, might actually does make right. And, the, and these people could, could move on their weaker neighbors and we would have chaos and we'd end up being involved in a lot more conflicts to protect our interests uh, than just the one. So I think Bush um, had a strategic vision that if we don't stop this kind of aggression here and now, uh, we're going to pay for it later in a, in a lot more conflicts uh, that perhaps we won't be able to to handle.
1: Well said, Professor. And I feel like I just took a class in uh, the 28 minutes. It would seem that we've covered uh, everything <laughs> from the histories of uh, the mid to late 70s to, uh, you know, two presidential administrations and one seriously great leader. And, uh, uh, you know, a love between the intelligence community and Bush 41 that, you uh, endures and that has taught us all a lesson. Thank you for the lessons that you've taught us this morning. Really appreciate talking to you.
0: Oh, it's been my pleasure and uh, thank you very much and uh, thank you for your service and your continuing uh, efforts to, uh, with veterans. Uh, as somebody who served in the Coast Guard, I think what
1: you're doing is great. And that'll do it for this special edition of Vet Story, dedicated to the memory of President George H.W. Bush. I'd like to thank my guests, Dr. Matthew Dalek, Associate Professor at George Washington University's Graduate School of Political Management. You can follow him on Twitter at Matt Dalek. That's at M-A-T-T-D-A-L-L-E-K. Special thanks to Central Intelligence Agency's Public Affairs Office for providing us with the link to the video. Again, you can find that on YouTube. Search for I Want This Job, George H.W. Bush and the CIA. Guests on the video included Tom Brokaw, special correspondent for NBC News. Also heard on the video was James Baker, former White House Chief of Staff under President Bush. And special thanks to Dr. Nicholas Dumovich, former career intelligence officer at the CIA for 26 years, former CIA deputy chief historian, and a former editor of the President's Daily Brief. You can find him as a professor of intelligence studies at Catholic University. I'm Phil Briggs and you can find my work at connectingvets.com where you can click on the podcast tab and find all kinds of episodes and incredible stories every day. Follow me on Twitter at Phil Briggs. In the meantime, I'll be looking for tales to tell and I'll talk to you on the next episode of Vet Story.